0: feelings come from many different... There's lots of different ways to generate feeling. And that song immediately has a menace to it and um, an ache that I just loved. And it brings in Nina Simone and it chops up Nina Simone, which is kind of vulgar um, and wrong. I mean, you cannot be messing with Nina Simone. And he does. And it's kind of offensive and it's kind of wrong. And I love... All of the ways in which that song is wrong
1: this is essential tremors I'm Lee Gardner I'm Matt Byers the idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are we're not looking for favorite songs necessarily We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives, or their lives in general. Chad Clark is the front person, singer, and guitarist for DC-based band Beauty Pill. Chad has a long history in the DC punk scene, going back to the early 90s when he led Discord band Smart Went Crazy, and his work in a production and mastering capacity on many records on the Discord label, as well as records such as the critically and commercially acclaimed Dismemberment Plans, Breakout Record, Emergency and I. An extremely talented mixer and engineer, Chad's work, both as an aider and a better to others, as well as in his own work, has been an important part of the DC scene and has reached audiences around the world. first song Clark chose as being essential to him was Night Game by Paul Simon.
0: first song I selected is a uh, Paul Simon song. It's called Night Game. Uh, it came out in 1976 uh, on the album Still Crazy After All These Years. Uh, Still Crazy After All These Years is famous. It was like a huge hit record. Is that, uh, uh, um, uh, it's mostly famous for having the single um, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, which is kind of a cheesy song, I think, but um, uh, Stadium I love Night Game, um, a lot. Older than the um, older than the th- it's, uh, here's the thing. If you listen to the song, um, I remember as a kid believing this song was nonfiction because this song describes a, a pitcher who dies on, on the, uh, uh, on the field, in the middle of a uh, actual baseball game, and I remember thinking it was a real story, like it was, because it, it has such a mournful, heavy quality. The music has this mournful, um, really heavy, melancholic uh, feeling that seemed completely authentic to me, um, and I thought it was just Paul Simon doing a very uh, poetic telling of a sad actual thing that happened um and i remember i told my dad about it and uh my dad disabused me of he's like that that never happened there's no there's no he's you know this is before the internet but he was like that's a made up story that's not real um and uh and it blew my mind. Uh, my dad knew more about baseball than I did. It blew my mind that he, he was able to... Paul Simon was able to summon this really deep, uh, authentic feeling out of something that he just simply imagined. Um, so I guess that's why... that that's This song, in a lot of ways... Uh, was instructive for me in terms of um the power of imagination and uh and how authentic doesn't necessarily fiction can be as authentic as nonfiction um, and that for me as a creative person it was a very liberating uh, idea so that's why I choose night game uh how old were you when you heard it? Maybe I think I heard it in probably ten or eleven, maybe.
2: And it was a record, or on the radio, or probably. Yeah, it was a
0: record. Uh, Actually, my mom used to work for uh, CBS Records, and we used to get these. This was not. I mean, I don't even think CBS Records still exists. But uh, we used to get free records at home, and I listened to those at home.
2: And that one song just really grabbed you.
0: It's a haunting song. I mean, in the middle of the song, the chords just like swoon and go into this, uh, this really like um, ethereal, um, beautiful place in the bridge uh, where he's like the stars were white as bones. Um, It was very chill. It's a chilling song um because you don't even know what the song's position is if it's simply reporting a thing that happened that's sad or if there's some expression of of connection to this person or you, you don't even know why the song exists um so yeah i love that it's a it's a pretty dark one and i think i think there's a little bit of influence for me on my s- songwriting um in that he builds uh, a picture out of pretty f- subtle chord differences. Um, the chords are pretty rich and he chooses a, an occasional note in the upper register that changes the angle of the, of the music and it's pretty subtle stuff. Subtlety is something that's not really rewarded in, or not, not as readily rewarded in music. Um, But I've always been drawn to things like that.
2: Well, it's interesting having done a few of these now. A lot of times people pick songs and it just seems like, you know, where did that come from? And then a few times people have picked songs. It's like, oh, yeah, I totally hear that. And what you're doing now or what you did 10 years ago. And listening to this again just now, I was like, oh yeah, I can totally hear pieces of this, elements of this. And the stuff you do with Beauty Pill is sort of setting a scene. The lyrics are literary, not just there to sound good. Um, and the melody is kind of takes some unexpected turns.
0: Thank you for that. I feel like I don't, you know, I definitely don't, I mean, I in no way do I consider myself in any way uh, uh, like a peer or parallel with Paul Simon. Um, but that's very kind of you. Uh, I mean, I actually didn't even realize I was thinking that, you know, coming over here, I was thinking, well, what are we gonna, what am I gonna talk about? And I was really thinking about the words, um, and how it seems sort of like dryly reporting a sad tale. Um, and, uh, and then how it, it the emotion sort of sweeps up in the middle of the song, and you really feel all this, all of the the anguish, I guess. Um, and so I was, but I was actually really mainly focused on the words, um, and only really, only really in talking about it. Like I guess there are some musical aspects of it that that I feel like made an imprint on me. Um, yeah, and the unexpected melody. I do like the unexpected melody. I I I, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like I um I don't know, I've just it's something that appeals to me. The the note that you didn't expect but that is gratifying when you do hear it, um is the thing that is that's my little that's my drug. Um and there's plenty of those notes in this in this in night game
2: this is one of my personal hobby horses about the past, you know, 30 years of rock music, pop music where, you know, again, words are not necessarily something that you're supposed to pay that close attention to, it's supposed to sound good, you know, it's supposed to kind of convey something that's maybe not that specific for whatever reason. Um one of the things that that I find interesting about beauty pill is that you know all those words are there and you're supposed to pay attention to them they're not they're not just so you have something to sing when you're standing up there
0: uh, that's also very kind of you to note um, I I'm actually trying the older I get the more interested I am in making music that people could throw on just because it fills the room with a feeling that's what I would love to do but it's true like i the words there's a lot of thought put into the words and they're often written at night and at a, at a time when i my brain is raw and uh, or sort of um the words are are honest they're they're from a real place and they, yes there's work put into shaping them um, and I do I, I'm happy You know we Beauty Pill gets a lot of For a, being a band As relatively obscure As we are We get a lot of um, Email about The words And the songs Like the, the People write Write us from all Around the world There's one guy uh, A guy in England Who uh, um, Got married To an African man And uh, tells me all these really amazing little anecdotes about his life um, and how he relates his, uh, his the struggles that they're having as a as a as a couple um, to beauty pill songs. And I feel like that's not the typical fan mail that bands get. I feel like there's a so in a in a way for me in the last few years it's definitely been a more of an increasing feeling of like hey people are getting this people are connecting to it and that's very gratifying
1: second song Clark chose as being crucial to his development as an artist was the Branford Marcellus Quartet's Doctone.
0: Marcellus's, the Brentford Marsalis Quartet Doctone, uh, which came out in 98, 99, I think, um, and uh, is from an, an absolutely brilliant record called Requiem um, that has a very uh, uh, unfortunate um, background. Uh, Which is that it's the last record That Kenny Kirkland Who is the pianist for the quartet uh, Made before he died Um And so the title Of the record Refers to that morning for him He died I think of a cocaine overdose I think he had a really really Rough Drug problem and it just took him under Um He's a brilliant musician, which you can hear on that recording. Um, He has this very um, vibrant... His chords have this uh, vibrance and this intelligence um, and this uh, energy, a glow, I guess, um, that I really respect and loved and was very sad when he died. Um, But the circumstance of the record is interesting because it is the Brentford Marsalis Quartet with Kenny Kirkland uh, on a record that is dedicated to Kenny and is titled after Kenny. Um, But they made it, they had made it, um, they had finished the record, which is the record that we're hearing, and then they decided it wasn't quite good enough uh, they felt like they needed to go back and re-record it um, they wanted to go out and play live shows and get more limber as a band um, and go into more uh, you know, richer areas of harmonic and rhythmic exp- uh, kind of um, what's the word um, interplay uh, which is what this, that band is amazing at um, uh, and they went out on a tour to kind of basically improve. They'd made a record. Jazz records are usually done relatively, um, uh, you know, take less time than rock records for sure. Um, sometimes they're just done in a few days. Um, uh, and yeah, they went out and to improve on that. And because Kenny died before they were ever, ever able to, um, to to re-record it, they released the takes that they thought were strong enough to release, and they call it Requiem. To me, when I heard it, I knew when when it came out, I knew that he was gone, and I knew he was, I knew it was, it was heartbreaking. Um, he died young, and he is just such a, such a such a cool musician, such a cool dude. Um. Uh so I went into it kind of with the title Requiem. And if you look at the cover of the Brent for Marsalis Requiem album, it's, it's kind of, it's dark blue. It, there's a, there's a real sense of, um, it's, it's, it's austere and, and, uh, and it's a gloomy, it's a gloomy title and it's a gloomy looking record. And, um, And then you hear Doctone, which is named after, which apparently was uh, Kenny's nickname in the band. And there's no darkness in it at all. It's pure euphoria. It's just pleasure and confidence and happiness and um, exaltation. It's so dope to me that... They opened this record, which circumstantially had such a, such a, Paul, I don't know what the word is, hanging over it. And the very first statement from that record, because it's the first tune that comes out, um, is just so full of life and so, so positive and so optimistic. And I feel like there's a real heaviness to that. Euphoria, because you know, as a listener, what you you know what you're listening to. Um, but it was very instructive to me that there's a lot of different ways to get at, to express, to communicate emotion. Um, this is very counterintuitive. If you, I mean, again, like all you have to do is hear a few notes of this thing and note that the music just feels completely ecstatic, and uh, and I and I love that. I love that it's not. I mean, they could have released music, or they could have front loaded the album with music that sounded um, mournful, or sounded melancholic, or 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 grim. Um, they were capable of that, but they didn't do that. Um, and it's a band that I really love and really respect. Um, they replaced Kenny Kirkland with what I believe. Is his protege? I'm not. I might be getting that wrong. Um, a white guy um, named Joey Colorazzo, or Colorazzo, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Um, and they kept rolling, and the piano work just continued to be brilliant. It had a different character because it's a different person. Um, but the band, the band has shifted a few times. They they changed drummers once. They had such an amazing, um, like identifiable drummer, Jeff Tain Watts, and they replaced him with this a kid whose name is I think his name is Justin Faulkner. Um, he's like 18, 19 years old, and he's just a brilliant. kid. Anyway, what I'm, I like I like how this band survives. I like how Brent, the Brent from Marcellus Quartet survives, and and shifts but never seems to die and that's really cool to me
2: it's interesting because um, it, it seems like the timing this probably would have come out around the time that maybe smart went crazy had broken up or tailed yeah. off or whatever happened um, uh, sort of how did this hit you at the time when you, were you looking for new things to do were you sort of sick of it
0: I mean I don't want I don't want I don't want to exaggerate the 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 impact of this particular song but i will say i definitely feel um i definitely think it's instructive for me in beauty pill um to i mean i, I like i'll take the the record that we put out the last record we put out which is called beauty pill describes things as they are and that album, I don't think sounds morose. I don't feel like it has a. I mean, it has definitely moments of, of um, you know, uh, darkness or whatever. But I feel like it's a record that has uh, a real life to it and real, it, you know, it has um, it has, it has it's kinetic and it uh, it's alive um and again i don't you know i'm not it's weird for me to put myself cast myself as a peer to paul simon or to brent from marcellus but um but yeah i feel like that it has had an effect on the the music that i've done after smart went crazy for sure
2: when um smart went crazy broke up did you already know that you wanted to do something else? I mean, what what was sort of your... Did, did Was Beauty Pill already there and sort of a formative germ, or did it take a while? Smart
0: went Crazy was a really good band um, that I always knew was a very good band. Um, I, I know that's, that sounds so arrogant. I, I, I don't mean to sound arrogant. It was it just was a it was a band that i knew like breaking that band up was not because the band sucked it was a strong band with a lot of um electricity and a lot of power we could have kept making great music if we were willing to endure the misery of what that you know what that would mean for us at a personal level um so we were we were on a happy band, probably for kind of typical reasons at that um at that stage or the, I don't think there's anything about smart and crazys breakup that is particularly um i mean I feel like a lot of cliches of like artistic differences and so and so doesn't get along with so and so at doing this kind of thing um so no, I didn't really have a plan. I knew that I wanted to make continue making music. The, the the sequence for me was we made Con Art, the last Smart and Crazy record, which I was which I loved. I was really proud of. And I also felt like it was the end of that band. And then I went to the studio to work on Dismemberment Plan, Emergency and I record, um, where there was a lot of money. Uh, A large budget Larger budget than I'd ever encountered In my working life in the studio And um, And I took some of the money that I made from that And uh, Bought Enough gear to make a mobile record With Smart With, I'm sorry, with with Beauty Pill Um, And I had just decided I really wanted to explore the kind of um, the, The some of the aspects of Smart and Crazy that I really felt had more um, terrain to yield. Uh, and that was the initial idea behind Beauty Pill. Um, and we wanted to make pop music, we wanted to do something simpler than Smart and Crazy because Smart and Crazy got sometimes pretty dense and complicated. Um, we wanted to make something simpler and more efficacious, uh, and leaner, um, uh, and not quite as heavy. Smart Crazy was loaded with a lot of personal, um, personal feeling and personal anguish uh, that, that went into that music, um. And Beauty Pill's initial idea was to kind of like, oh, we're not going to do any, there's not going to be any, um, uh, autobiographical songs or like, because there's, smart and crazy, there's a lot of, uh, uh, there are a lot of songs that are real, like, threadbare allegories for my own life. Um, uh. And I did you know I wanted to get away from that with beauty bill I wanted to I was wanted to, the initial uh, our initial kind of personality model was closer to like stereolab I know we didn't get anywhere close to that because whenever I tell people that everybody's like really um, but yeah I, I kind of wanted to I, I liked the I liked the wryness of stereolab I liked the um and I felt like the emotion you know that's a band where there's almost this sort of um I mean they're playing off of it to some extent with their communist sort of socialist uh uh ideas, but there's almost a sort of it seems music without um that just seems like an expression of a group of people in a room I mean the name stereolab is pretty accurate, you know. Um so we were kind of that was more what we were trying to do with the PD bill nobody nobody got it and clearly we failed
1: Clark's third and final choice was Jay-Z's 2017 track, The Story of O.J. Please note that while there is potentially offensive language contained therein, it is essential to the intention of the song and is being left in for that reason. Light nigger, dark nigger, faux nigger, real nigger. Rich nigger, poor nigger, house nigger, fill nigger. Still nigger. My
2: name is Still nigger. I like that
1: second one. Light nigga, dark nigger, faux nigger, real nigger. Rich nigger, poor nigger, house nigger, feel nigger.
0: Still nigger. The first song I brought in to talk about was from 76 uh, Next thing Is from 99 And that song I think Came out last year um, And it's life changing For me uh, Even though I'm in my 40s um, You know I Initially thought about Formative You know the, the premise of your show Being that you looking for sort of formative uh, you know uh, seminal songs that for your whole approach to life but one of them for me hit me pretty late just last year uh, and uh, first of all I love that my pulse went up. Immediately with that song I I value the Physiological response to music um, Maybe You know like you were saying earlier like The words for Beauty Pill are important And that's true But I really just want a feeling um, And feelings come from Many different There's lots of different ways to generate feeling And that song immediately has uh a menace to it and uh um and uh an ache um that I just loved uh and it brings in Nina Simone and it chops up Nina Simone which is kind of vulgar um and wrong I mean you cannot be messing with Nina Simone and he does and it's kind of offensive and it's kind of wrong And I love all of the ways in which that song is wrong. I like some spice of wrong in music. Um, That's exciting to me. That's electric to me. Um, And I'll get into my own interpretation or interpretation of or response to the content of the lyrics um but I really want to emphasize the main thing about that piece of music is that you feel it in your stomach as soon as it starts um and then you know as soon as those words come in it just takes it to another level I know that takes it to another level is such a cliche but you know I mean that's what happens uh Okay. Here is the mind I mean Jay-Z I'm not I'm not even like I'm not even a dedicated fan. Like I I think he's alright. I think he's smart. Has done some cool shit. Some of his stuff I like, some of it some of it I don't like. I'm not a, I'm not an intense fan. But to me this song and I feel like he knew it. Um, he's just vibrating With a very special kind of genius um, uh, Okay First thing Is the song is called The Story of OJ So that title As soon as that music That sort of sinister music Comes in And you've got that title We all know that The Story of OJ Is Incredibly violent uh, An incredibly horrific, but that's not what this song is about at all. He just uses that little flash of horror that's in your brain when you put the word "story of OJ" and what you're about to listen to. Um, he just uses it as a as a, he dangles it as like uh, a thing in the corner. Just it's not even. The main thing that he's trying to bring up. he brings up this quote from O.J. Simpson, which I remember I don't know if it's an exact quote, but O.J. Simpson had this idea that he was such a star and such a, an amazing person that he trans, uh, he, trans, he transcended race, like he, that race didn't really apply to him. Or he, you know, there's that line, I'm not black, I'm OJ. Um, and the, like, if you listen to the song again, check out the pause between I'm not black, I'm OJ, and then he just pauses He's like, okay. And exactly that phrasing, exactly the way it sounds bemused, but also kind of, I mean, there's so much level, there's so many, there's so much rich communication in every second in this song. Um, the fact that he drops and he leaves the beat hanging for that long before he says okay Um, and it rhymes it completes the rhyme but it's it's you're not you don't and and it's at that moment it's Jay-Z talking to OJ like it's like it's very trippy um, and beautiful in my opinion Uh, very inspired and to me, that's enough. Like, <laughs> like, just the opening of that song is just so great. Um, and there's actually, uh, and in the very beginning of the song, you hear him talking to the engineer and the the recording engineer and the in the session, and giving him instructions. And it's real. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's uh, canned or I don't think it's uh, performed. I think that as actually just Jay Z talking to his engineer, and they kept it in. Um, So there's a reality of Jay-Z's reality that we're going into. And they want you to know this is Jay-Z speaking from Jay-Z's point of view. And that is the thing about this song. It's Jay-Z's point of view. Nobody has Jay-Z's point of view. I mean, think about Jay-Z's life. There's no, like, he's got to know. There's no way he's going to be able to be a relatable figure at this point. He's got to let that go because he's living some kind of bizarre royalty. um, I mean, you know. I mean. He's using in the song, he's using his actual life. He's using his actual um, experience and knowledge. And there's a humility to it. Um, And part of the song is him talking about. Uh he's giving instructions. It's actually like economic instructions. He's just disseminating he, you know, here's what I've learned being this fucking rich. Excuse my language again. I apologize. Um uh here's what I've learned being this rich. Here's what I've learned you know, from my vantage and I want to pass it on to you because I think it's valuable knowledge. I think that I think I have something uh, of of value to to give you, you the listener. Um, and even at one point, he even he even talks back to the listener. And he says like, "I know you think it's bougie, but I'm trying to give you some game." And it's just an amazing line. He's just like, "Look, you you gave me some money for this album." I want to give you something you can actually take out into the world, into the marketplace and use. And essentially what he's arguing for which is so radical in, as a hip hop message is fiscal prudence. <laughs> that song is about fiscal prudence. That song is about not going into debt. That song is about um, staying above you know, staying in the black or whatever. Um, and at one point there's this sort of you could view it as anti-semitic reference where he says all the Jews in America all the Jews in America essentially he's giving them he's he's saying it's a culture that I admire um, but it, it it's debatable it's certainly debatable that that's a that could be view, viewed as an anti-semitic um, line so you know that sucks but uh But it's very real and very raw, Um, and his 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 message of liberation uh, is, you know, keep your money together. You know, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, understand that money is power. Um, And I think that that is not a that's not a tip. You know, that's not a message you're going to hear from Chuck D. You know what I mean? Like That's, that's a message that you're not going to hear from. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge Most Def fan. I'm a huge fan of a lot of um, progressive rap. Um, but it's pretty rare that you get the kind of capitalist uh, assertion you hear in this song. And I'm someone who like I like, politically identifies as much more of a left person. But there's no question that um, when you get money in the hands of minorities and the money in the hands of women, money in the hands of pe- marginalized people, that's good for the world. And that's exactly what, you know, the Trump administration is afraid of. That's exactly what mainstream, you know Indiana, Republican America is afraid of. That's exactly the kind of power they fear, and he's saying, "Build your power, understand where what power is, and this is a form of power." And so I see it as an entirely, um, a very provocative, and kind of acerbic, uh, you know, way of putting it. But it's essentially an an enlightening. Um, his intent is enlightenment. I love that song. Um,
2: one of the many interesting things about Jay Z is that no MC has ever been where he is. You know, he's worth almost a billion dollars. I has. think. I
0: mean, yeah. Who who can? I mean, exactly.
2: Right. But you know, it's it's also you know you bring up the fact that you're in your forties. I mean, he is too, and he's still at it in a game that is often thought of as sure. being like. You know, a young man's game, a young person's game. You know, your first couple, three albums or mixtapes or whatever come out and everybody's on to you. And then after mm-hmm. a while, you just fall off. People will get interested in something else. Exactly. Um.
0: I, l- let me address that and just say that I actually hadn't thought of Jay-Z's age in the context of this, but that's true, what you just said. Uh, and I really love... I always have loved adult work. Um, I think some of Fugazi's strongest work is happens towards the end of their um, their discography. Like I think they keep kept getting richer and more and more and bolder and more exciting and more dangerous. Um, and uh, I love. I don't. I don't associate getting older as a sort of one-to-one relationship with getting lamer. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't have a problem getting older. It's not something that freaks me out. Um, some of my heroes, like one of them is Ardo Lindsay, um, who my band went on tour with a couple times last year, and it was like one of the best experiences of my life. Um, Ardo's in his 60s, and he's still a badass. And he's... and he Like, it's not even... He's more of a badass because he marshals all of the knowledge and the wisdom and the experiences that he's that he had before, and he brings them onto the stage and every everything that he does. Um, that's not something you can do unless you're a sixty-two-year-old Brazilian genius, you know. Um, so that, like, you know, uh, for a while, my um, my studio was next to what my Uh, My music studio was next door to um, Sam Gilliam, um, the painter, uh, who I think is in his 80s now. Um, And uh, he was a total inspiration for me. Just being near him, seeing a black man um, who just followed his vision and made it work, um, and made a living out of it. It Sam was making a very good living out of it. Um, and, uh, like, so I guess what I'm trying to say is my, a lot of my heroes are people who are much older than me and I, I want to be where they are. I mean, that's, you know, I looked at our Lindsay with envy. Um, like I felt like I definitely like felt like a student, um, and seeing, like, a master at work, uh, definitely inspiring and intimidating in equal measure. Um, so I don't associate, and youth, a lot of times, like, when you, you know, like, sometimes I'll check out, like, whatever band is playing on late night TV, or whatever, and, and like it's, it's a band of 20 somethings And they're doing something that I have seen before They're doing something And they're doing it in a very rote Kind of orthodox way I mean the bands that Crib from the Stones And the Velvets And the Stooges Bore the shit out of me Cause I have those records I don't need more of them and uh, so yeah, I don't have any. There's nothing like being a middle aged artist, being a middle aged badass is, to me like that's hard for the course.
1: I can't wait to get it to my children. Y'all think it's bougie. I'm like, it's fine, but I'm trying to give you a million dollars worth of game for 999. I turn a two to a four, four to an eight. I turn my life into a nice first week release date. Y'all is still taking advances, huh? me and my niggas taking real chances uh y'all on the gram holding money to your ear there's a disconnect we don't pull that money over here yeah this has been essential tremors <laughs> essential tremors is produced by me matt byers and lee gardner essential tremors is distributed by wypr baltimore and npr Look for and subscribe to all of WYPR's podcasts at wypr.org/podcastcentral. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to essentialpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.